You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and artists from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. This month, The Show on the Road is sponsored by Winter Wondergrass, now with three unique festival locations. In Steamboat, Colorado, February 21st through 23rd, Lake Tahoe's beautiful Squaw Valley, California, March 27th through 29th, and now Stratton Resort, Vermont, for the second annual Sugar and Strings Fest, April 10th and 11th. Who throws a music festival under the stars in the middle of winter, you ask? Why, Winter Wondergrass, of course. These are the most unique festivals I've ever been a part of. I played them in Lake Tahoe and in Colorado, and you know what? Just because you're wearing snow pants doesn't mean you can't dance, and it is really, really fun, guys. Single and multi-day passes for Winter Wondergrass are available now. Head over to winterwondergrass.com for more. This week on the show, my conversation with a border-breaking bluegrass band led by a trilingual world traveler, fleet bowed fiddler, spitfire vocalist, and sonic scholar in Joe Troop, who brought the high lonesome sound of his native Piedmont, North Carolina, all the way to Buenos Aires, Argentina, where he began teaching local curious pickers his own global strain of rollicking Appalachian string band music, and amongst his talented students, he found three kindred spirits in Argentinians Franco Martino on guitar, Martin Bobrick on mandolin, and Pau Barja on banjo originally from Mexico and the result has been one of the most unexpected and have to hear this to believe it stories in modern music today culminating in their brilliant second record Rearrange My Heart which was produced by a fan of the band and guy pretty good on the banjo himself Bela Fleck and was nominated for Folk Album of the Year at this year's Grammy Awards indeed I convinced these guys to park their van in my driveway on the day before they walked the red carpet and I hope you're ready for the one and only Che Apalache Look, I could wax poetic about how I've seen and heard bands trying to stretch the limits of folk music and how there is no one quite like this group of guys, but this time I'm not exaggerating. I've never in my life heard a band like Che Apalachee. And when I first was sent their record, I put it on and I heard a bluegrass album forged in a cauldron of intersecting Latin rhythms, political protest, Japanese mysticism, and note-perfect front porch harmony. I was pretty confused. How could this actually work? But it does. Let us not forget that even though thousands of miles separate the rolling hills of North Carolina and the bustling city streets of Buenos Aires, Argentina, we are all Americans. South and North Americans alike, we share a similar origin story. Right before taping this, I was packing my suitcases for a long tour that I'm about to start, and I was listening to Radiolab, and their newest story is about the body count of the American continent. And what was fascinating to hear was that unlike Europe and Asia and Australia, we are a new people. Human-type creatures have only existed in North and South America for 50,000 years. That is a tiny blip in history. The dinosaurs were the superpower of the Earth for hundreds of millions of years, while there is evidence that humans have existed in some form in Northern Africa for over 300,000 years. And yet, Across that vast expanse over rivers and mountain ranges and vast lakes and oceans from North Carolina to Argentina was a vast, untouched land waiting for people to make it their own. And in a way, that's what this band is doing right now. They're creating something, a mini-civilization that has never been formed right in front of us, right on my living room rug with their instruments. They are a brand new band, and even though they've only been playing for a few years, 
there is a symbiotic chemistry that Che Appalachia already has. An effortless weaving of language, strings, and lyrics. Signals that maybe they knew each other in another life. They were brothers by some sort of other cosmic mother. Is that possible? What are the chances that these four guys from three countries in totally different wavelengths ever meet at all? Maybe we should all try and do something we never thought possible. Talk to people we've never dreamed of having a conversation with. Travel to a land where we know no one. You know, maybe it's time for me to totally switch it up. Americana music? What even is that? Maybe I should move to the Andes and start a chicha band. Well, let's not get too crazy, shall we? I have a record release tour that begins this week with my gang Dust Bowl Revival. Our album comes out January 31st. I'm really excited to present these new songs to you at last. And you know what? We'll see you in New England and then going all the way down the southeast and out to the west coast. Please come and see us. And before I bring you Che Appalachia, I would like to recite just a piece of a poem by one of Argentina's greatest poets, Jorge Luis Borges. This is from fragments of an apocryphal evangelist. Cursed are the poor in spirit. For when they are under the ground, they will be about as they are now above it. Blessed are those who know that suffering is not a crown of glory. It is not enough to be last in the hope of someday being first. Blessed are they who do not hunger for righteousness, for they know that our fate, implacable or merciful, is the work of chance, and chance is unfathomable. Well, that got my mind worrying a bit. Big thanks to Che Appalachia for coming all the way to California from Argentina. Congrats on the Grammy nomination. And here they are now, Joe Troop and the boys, Che Appalachia. All right, so uh, you guys are here all the way from Buenos Aires. It's a little far from home, and uh, your new record, Rearrange My Heart, is nominated for Folk Album Grammy Award. Woo! Uh, can you go around and introduce yourselves, please? Uh, I'm Pau. My name is Pau Andres, and I play the banjo in the band. I was born in Mexico, but I've been living for 15 years in Buenos Aires. Mexico, uh, the traditional banjo player of Mexico, not really found very often. Not very often, no, but I do know one besides me. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Sweet. Go ahead. My name is Franco Martino. I'm from Argentina, Buenos Aires, and I play guitar. Uh, my name is Martin. I play mandolin and, and sing tenor, and I'm also from Buenos Aires, Argentina, but I do it better than Franco. Yeah. I'm from Buenos Aires. Right. No, I don't know, just... To being, uh, competitive. Also, it's uh, 11 a.m. here in sunny California, and only one of you is drinking a Modelo beer right now. Not gonna say who. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Joe Troop, and I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, playing fiddle and singing lead. So we're all gathered around the mic here, uh, and this is definitely a celebratory week for you guys. I'm really, really happy that a, I think, pop-oriented show like the Grammy Awards is looking at different types of music like your insane uh, Latin bluegrass mashup. And tell me a little bit about, uh, Joe, how you got these guys into the band. Were they students of yours? Yeah, I met all these guys through teaching. I moved down to Buenos Aires 10 years ago and set up shop as the resident 
uh, bluegrass teacher of the bluegrass family of instruments. And these guys signed up for banjo lessons. And over the years, we started, you know, we became picking buddies. I guess you could, you know, picking buddies, just like anywhere else in the world. Kind of happened organically over the course of, I'd say, five or six years. And then um, a few years ago, we decided to start taking that technical knowledge of bluegrass music into a more authentic direction, given that we're uh, a Latin American-based bluegrass band. We started fusing with certain Latin American musical styles, and the rest is history. That's what we've been doing ever since. Are there other bluegrass bands in Buenos Aires right now? Not, not traditional bluegrass. There might be one beginning. I don't know. It's like, no. <laughs> Maybe not. There is an, an old-time jam yeah. going on since last year. We started oh, cool. with some friends. Like at a bar or a, or a... Sometimes we do it in a bar or... We got a really... Uh, I don't I know what the word to describe it is, but I remember the first time we did the jam, we were standing on a wet floor. Okay. And we thought it was because it was just cleaned, but then it started getting wetter and wetter, and we ended up playing on a like a, a pond. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, puddle. Yeah, a puddle, yes. That's the word. Thank you. You know, it's not an authentic bluegrass band if you're not playing in disastrous situations. I remember seeing a rat running into the bathroom. <laughs> Escaping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. beautiful. What has you, your experience been touring in the States so far? It's been a fun experience, really. Uh, I feel that we have been received with a lot of love and, um, I don't know, I feel great. And it's been a great opportunity to meet people and places. You have a huge country and a diverse country. Yeah. It's beautiful. I have a, the, a bass player that plays now with our group who's from Cuba, and I sent your song Maria to him. And I was like, you know, I know you don't usually listen to bluegrass, but you're going to really dig this. And he's like, ooh, it's spicy. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were you guys listening to in Buenos Aires growing up? Mm-hmm. I listened rock music funk mm. and at first time reggae Bob Marley mm. punk music too mm. so I grew up with those type of music sweet what about you um, I used to listen to punk music and I played punk music for like 10 years uh, now I play banjo in a band that we say is bluegrass punk uh-huh. I, I don't count it as bluegrass but it's with bluegrass instrumentation. So I think it affected me, mm. all that punk listening, but I also feel now that it was kind of a waste of time, but I enjoyed it. So that's what's important. How did you, how did you get going on the mandolin? So I wanted to play banjo, and they invited me to play with them, yeah. and there was one guitar, one fiddle, one bass, <clears throat> and two banjos, come yeah. in mind. So, but he plays way better. So uh, they asked me if I had a mandolin, I was like, no, do you know how to play mandolin? No. Are you sure you don't know how to play mandolin? No. Okay, okay. So they insisted and I said, okay, just give me the, show me the chords and I just tried to play. And then uh, I bought a mandolin because I needed an excuse to buy one and that was it. So now I play mandolin. You seem to know what you're doing. <laughs> you nice. also look like a young David Grisman with the beard. That's what I, I've been told. 
What about you playing the banjo? Did you start that in Mexico or when you yes. moved? No, no. Uh, I started playing the banjo in Argentina. Actually, mm. I became a musician uh, when I was around ni- 19. I started playing bass, electric bass, and I was already in Argentina. But uh, my musical background was I used to listen to uh, classic rock, like the 70s rock and the 60s. And because Only the best. Only the best, yeah. <laughs> and then when I moved to Argentina, I became a huge fan of uh, Argentinian rock. They call it national rock, but it's their national rock. Mm. And I don't know, Our. figures like Charlie Garcia or Spinetta. Mm. Those kind of, they grew big on me. Then I got a banjo. Uh, listening to the Flectones and a friend of mine told me that his mandolin teacher was teaching banjo and I was like okay I could have a few lessons and Joe got me into bluegrass mm. he was like okay you want to play the banjo you have to learn bluegrass it's interesting that you came to the banjo before you're even going into yes. bluegrass which I, is not I, the I, case I, a I, lot I, of time I, like, I knew the sound because you hear it in the movies and the series mm. and the media you know the sound, but I didn't even know the word mm. bluegrass. One of my favorite things about modernity, or modernity, modernidad, losing my English here, is the fact that uh, several students are not interested in bluegrass, and that's totally fine by me. But what I like is that they can use, like Huma, one of your ex-students, mm-hmm. he's just not interested in bluegrass, really. And he's a great banjo player, but he's using the bluegrass technique, techniques that were pioneered for that genre, and he's exploring all kinds of you know, different Latin American musical styles with those techniques. And I think that's great. I mean, I don't see any reason why, just because you play banjo, you have to play bluegrass. I think it's cool to take from that development and take it in any direction you can. And starting to see that happen. Well, that's a testament to what Bela Fleck has done, you know, with the Fleck tones, yes. and um, you know, being able to have the banjo be a almost rock and roll jazz solo instrument and it it can hit kids all over the world in different ways totally um because i think you know to be real maybe my one main issue with bluegrass is that it's overwhelmingly white and very rooted in this kind of cross between religious music and the church then, and then sort of a, almost a rebellion against that. He, it, you know, it, it yeah. feels like at festivals that we've been lucky to be included into for many years, it's so uh, not diverse that it's important that guys like you infiltrate this world and show people like, no, this music can transcend borders, can transcend language, and that's really beautiful to see. I, I'd say from personal experience, I learned a lot from uh, what I... I, I I guess they themselves call themselves hill hillbillies, but yeah. hillbilly culture, like uh, people from deep within Appalachia, have a distinct culture. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of them that aren't uh, fundamentalist religious types or whatnot. They're 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 a little. Uh, it's it's an interesting culture. It's a very idiosyncratic culture that we're all very fond of. You know, I took these guys to the first thing. Like my goal was like I got to get my students to Galax and Clifftop at some mm-hmm. point. And we did that, and then they were like, "Whoa, this is like you, you know you, this this idea of the United States has never exported. It's a very mm-hmm. uh, interesting culture, and and that that is that's cultural diversity in mm-hmm. itself. Uh, yes, it's mostly white Anglo-Saxons, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different social classes mm-hmm. and people from diverse cultural backgrounds within white America too. So it's it, I, I wouldn't say that bluegrass is overwhelmingly white though it is it's it is it is diverse within 
what it is at the same time. Uh, there's there's a lot of intermeddling of people from just incredibly disparate backgrounds. You'll see oh, yeah. that at any Southern Fiddlers convention. Well, I always like that that quote from Ralph Stanley when people ask him, you know, how did you really start playing bluegrass as a young man? He's like, well, that wasn't a term or even a thing. Yeah. You know, and that bluegrass is like a very new art form. It's Appalachian you know? folk. Bill, Bill Monroe himself didn't even like the term bluegrass. Yeah. Was a, that was a record industry term right. thing. And, and, and like in, you mentioned Ralph Stanley, Clinch Mountain, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, we actually played up in those parts. Um, at the Ralph Stanley Museum, which is in Clintwood, Virginia, right down the road from where he was born. And their culture is nothing like what I grew up with in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Though it's geographically close, it's a whole other world. So, you know, I'd I'd say, like, if you get get back in the early days of bluegrass to understand what it it came out of is to understand a lot. It's it's a pretty intensive cultural investigation you got to undertake to really understand those cultures, to, to understand what produced that sound. You know, you'll never really understand it because you can't live what in years, but you can try empathetically. And I'm curious, you know, you being from North Carolina, do you feel like accidentally or, uh, you know, something has seeped into your bloodstream that this music is really a part of you? Not, accident, not accidentally at all. I mean, I am from that region of the world. So Piedmont like, area, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, when I listened to Ralph Stanton, like my, my grandparents weren't into bluegrass. They were actually, my grandfather, until I started playing, he was, he was not into it because that's what everyone listened to. And he mm. was a little bit rebellious. You okay. Say. But then when I got into bluegrass, he's like, you know, Joe, I, I guess I, I, I kind of like, I kindly like this now. I kindly mm. like this one. <laughs> Uh, but the, culturally, like I, I listen to Ralph Stanley, it, rem- it does. Uh, it reminds me of my grandpa and grandma. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of my extended family that is more rural. I'm kind of like a rural adjacent. Mm-hmm. I was born in a in a, in a city like Winston Salem. It in Atlanta, but it's yeah. You know, now it's like 250 thousand people. Right. So yeah, it's not. It's I mean that I, the reason I got into bluegrass is because uh, as soon as I got a banjo, I realized there were several teachers in town. There were tons of jams. It was uh, you know I started going to fiddlers conventions and it was like wow. I now uh you know here's community. It is really a, a beautiful community that is honestly more and more uh, open minded to different permutations of the bluegrass universe. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm curious what has been the most fun that you've had on stage recently that you can think of? On stage? Yeah, like what a show that was really mind-blowing. Michigan. St. Joe's, Michigan. That was kind of cool. Yeah. The, the, set, the band after us didn't show up. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, I, I remember. That, that was really fun. Uh, we we were asked to make some uh, buy some time because the other band wasn't like uh, around yeah. when we had to get off stage. And so we had to like start, uh, I wouldn't say improvising, but bringing all the songs that we hadn't played in a long time. And then yeah. the train started going and we just started playing, uh, uh, what's the name? Orange, Orange Blossom Special. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Actually, I think, we, I think we went into the longest train I oh, ever saw. Yeah, we went into the, uh, in the pines at first. So it was cool. We got to play like a double set because the next band didn't show, and there was a there was storm clouds on the horizon. It was this, and they didn't know what to do, and they're just like, "Can y'all just keep playing?" And they brought us some beers. We're like, "Sure, <laughs> man." Michiganders are cool. We love it up there. It's a yeah. whole another world. It was 
funny because we had the worst sound check ever. Yeah. We were like super pissed off at when we started, but then now it was like super fun yeah. to remember it because we ended up doing that. But at the beginning it was like, oh, yeah. it was I almost lost my hearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a bit. Yeah, there was. It was terrible. But you know they worked through it eventually. Yeah, yeah. And we and we just like we t- we took it. We, we we acted well within the circumstances I think as a band we were like let's just have fun and then it ended up being like an hour and 45 minute set or something it was like one of those ex- unexpected and the crowd was so like empow- emboldening it was awesome Are you do you guys plug in at all or are you trying to go very acoustic around microphones and stuff like that it depends on the on the, on the stage basically we, we, we do plug in sometimes we tried doing condensers everywhere but it didn't work like we we tried Doing that at Floyd Fest, but there was a band with a drum on one side yeah. and a super loud bass on the other, and that didn't work. So now we're trying to plug in and use sometimes dynamic microphones, although uh, center condenser is what we prefer. Hmm. We're still a young band and we're still working out in funding. Like we we don't have in ear monitors and all that stuff. We, we're still we're still trying to cover flights, international flights, and vehicle rentals and all that kind of stuff. So. Eventually, as the years go on, hopefully we'll we'll be able to get better equipment suited suited for bigger stages and whatnot. But we we still we are still, uh, you know, these guys are playing Chinese instruments still. You know what I mean? We're still mm. working. We're working with what we've got, and uh, well, it sounds damn good. You don't have to have a, a several thousand dollar instrument to make good music. That's for sure. And that bluegrass proved that long before it became, uh, you know before these instruments were collected and, and, and became so expensive, you know. What was the first song that you guys started playing together where you realized you could really do this for real as a band? Maria. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Well, well, we played bluegrass, but when we, when we started the fusion, like when we started playing around with Marimba, uh, Marimba, digo, <laughs> Maria, there was uh, we, the percussive hits on the banjo, the ha- like the, the swapping the percussive roles, uh, as we went along to kind of cover the bases of the polyrhythms and whatnot, that was just really fun and creative, and and that's kind of what we do now. We just figure out who who can fill that role and when, and it's a that's the whole the, the composition that every, every time we use one of these uh, rhythmic syncopation syncopa- syncopations, uh, we have to go through all the trial and error. Like, does this sound like clave? No, no, no. And then eventually we settle on it's like you know maybe if you use the pick on the mandolin bridge it sounds correct or maybe if you hit the banjo like it's a timbale you can get you can get something that uh, like uh, an approximation of the sound which is legit you know Mm -hmm. and like and that's what that's what's so cool that's what like i think bela was so mesmerized by is that these instruments they've been explored percussively but if you just start hitting around on them and exploring them as if they were percussive instruments they have a lot to offer Mm. Uh, and that's kind of the unexpected um, discovery we, we sort of stumbled upon. When songs like Maria start coming together, do you guys share lyric writing duties, or is it uh, more you starting it? I'm 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 more the songwriter. We we share the arrangement. Uh, I do most of the, you know, songwriting. We did we did very specific cases. We help him with uh, slang. Yeah. When in La Milonga, for example, La Milonga that's de very Argentinian slang. But the lyrics are like his idea, and we just said there's a slightly better way to say the same thing you're saying yeah. using this word. Like Do you think you could tell me a little bit more about what Maria 
uh, means for folks who don't we like to speak keep Spanish. that we like to keep that uh, it's actually Maria Maria del Agua Maria del Cielo like Mary of Water Mary mm-hmm. of the Sky no me acuerdo cómo sigue Maria Maria del Agua Maria del Cielo Maria Maria Divina qué suerte que tuve tener en mi vida Divine Mary what great fortune had I to have thy in my life it doesn't really mean it means whatever you want it to mean that's as a lyricist is it about like the Virgin of Guadalupe no it's not about not I don't know. It is it? Be. Yeah. We if like to we like to leave that open for interpretation. There's a lot of songs that mean something very specific. Yeah. Most of them. Maria was an explore, a musical exploration, and the lyrics, honestly, are not that important. Sorry, I hate to break. I heard no, there's, there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, also, in all time, I was gonna say, in, uh, like tropical Latin American songs uh-huh. where the lyrics like there's the Vendedor de Cocos which is yeah, like, like, like the coconut seller Selman, and Selman. he's going around selling coconuts and that's the whole lyrics mm. and you know that yeah, Maria is yeah. like Groundhog for example let's go yeah. hunt the Groundhog and the lyrics doesn't say a lot yeah Maria is very much uh in expression but the the lyrical qualities I, I i when people ask me that i'm like i'm almost embarrassed to say it's like really you know like listen to any other song please <laughs> if you want lyrical value this song doesn't mean anything yeah, but the words sounds very good with the music yeah it sounds authentic it's not but it's it's one of those things like what's the meaning i would say my advice is to anyone who really wants to know stop wondering about it because it's not worth it just enjoy the music <coughs> or or do uh, your own uh, interpretation I, yes Yeah, which is way more fun. I think we should just give them the song then. Okay, con el saludo muriero y todo.
a mariachi uh, vocal intonation that I hear in that song. Yeah, when I sing Maria, I think about uh, Camarón de la Isla, uh, like flamenco mm-hmm. style of singing. Um, it's got this very specific vibrato, and uh, so I, I kind of think about my two years in Spain and hearing their, you know, those vocal chops, like, Llamalo that kind of vibratos is very like uh, southern Spain for me. Hmm. Very gitano. So there's a song uh, on your record, Rearrange My Heart, La Milonga de Quis Empenedido. <laughs> La Milonga de Quis Empenedido, sí. Google Translate helped me not at all <laughs> trying to figure that <laughs> yeah, out. I think so. It, it, it's a very specific language. Quis means like kind of like a, a rustic guinea pig, like a... Like a uh, Wild guinea pig. It's common in South America, but what it means is it's a it's a slang that I invented with my friend Pablo Vázquez when we went on a very uh, psychedelic trip to La Patagonia in 2011, and we invented the concept of quiz, which is basically uh, impossible to, to explain. It's kind of like you do like uh, you know um, the dude, yeah, uh, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, he's a quiz. He's a prime example of what a quiz would be. It's kind of like hippie leaving, like a kind of like a sort of jovial and in and uh, dirty 
lazy but very sophisticated intelligent an accidental human. prophet of our times yeah <laughs> but, but lazy usually at home smoking pot and uh and maybe having a cocktail at three in the afternoon who sings the whole first part of that song i sing that song I need you to slam poetry style that first verse. Trans. Okay. Uh, not not in English, in Spanish. Okay. Because it and feels like a rap in Spanish. But, uh, right. There's the other part of the title before he does that is la milonga, which is a style of music, uh, like close to tango, but it's not tango. And empedernido means. Empedernido means like uh, oh my god, fully. Unto one's self, like definitely, uh, like stubborn about uh, being like God, that. What was the ba- translation? Like a uh, um, full blown or hundred percent or like uh, all in, staunch. Yeah, yeah all in, totally. Yeah, exactly. In pedernido. Yeah. Okay. Slam poetry style would be. ¿En qué kilómetro metimos? Este mundo está jodido. Encendes la maquinita, ya tenés diez mil amigos. Agarras el ratoncito y metes un par de clics. No me vengas con me gusta. Quiero verte. Soy un quiz. Toma. If there was one quiz in this band, who would it be? Paul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul is... We all are. We are all quizzes, yeah, but Paul is like, quiz por excelencia. I mean, you seem to want to own up to it, so tell us why. No, I don't want to own up to it. I just do, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I like to be recognized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I just to be recognized. They do evade. <laughs> yeah, there's also another concept, a parallel concept called gnomo, which is a gnome. And... Uh, People are either people that are in that similar category. Some of them are gnomos and not quizzes. It's very hard to. I think every person have a, pers- a percentage of quiz or gnom. Yeah, yeah. In <laughs> what is heart. what is your most quiz habit that you do? Mm. Um, Oh, I know what it is. I don't know. He, you know, like he sits in the back left seat. We all have oh, our yeah. seats. He leaves a bunch of random shit in the uh, in the seat compartment. That's a very quiz move. I guess. What about? Uh, he's always with his cli- with uh, with his eyes closed and snoring. Um, but then he say like, "No, I never sleep in the yeah, car." Yeah, that's that very. <laughs> that's more of a gnomo. But then you can say Franco, and he's a That's more of a gnomo. Yeah. That's more of a new We're getting into the like Las Entrañas of the band like language and culture here. The the inner it's an inner joke. Is that like yeah. inside joke? It's an inside, yeah. joke. inside joke. Yeah. But it's not really a joke. It's no, a no. very important philosophical <laughs> yeah. concept. If there's if there was a place in Buenos Aires that my band would come and play that you would want to show someone who's never been, where would you take us? Ah. To for, for your band to play? play, yeah, or may, and then and then maybe no, to but get not one of the standing places like a real a cool place to play. Hasta Trilce. That's a, a really good like organization. Okay, first off, because they could get you a gig there, yeah. and because it's uh, and you you can also they're choose... not right wing fascists. No, yeah. There's a lot and of right wing fascists. You can choose, you can play in the bar place, mm. like in the bar. You can play in a like, lunch with uh, coaches and tables, or you can play in a theater. Mm. It has like, yeah. Or we can do a bluegrass festival in my house. Great, ah, yeah, even yeah. better. Except that we're gonna bring our trombone player. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah, you guys can play in the park. We'll take you to a great park. <laughs> There's a band that I fell in love with. I feel like they're from Argentina. Um, was it Oso Negro? What are they called? Um, Onda Vaga, maybe. Yes. Onda Vaga. That's what I meant. Oh yeah. yeah. Also, they're also no, negative. From, from, black, from Black Bear to uh, 
like uh, lazy vibes. vibes. Yeah. They they started out as a really cool like hippie chic. Can you say that here? Yeah. Chic band, and with no plug in instruments. But now they got a lot of uh, like arouse no uh, harassment harassment Arousal. harassment. <laughs> Is that word? Harassment. 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 From who? From uh, ladies. Underage uh, ladies. So now they don't exist anymore, I think. Yeah, let's oh. say that's a band. Yeah. Typical machiruro que tocaron. Oh, so that you're is, saying they got accused. Yeah, and it's happening a lot. I'd say, I don't, know. I don't know. If, Argentina is a very sure. machista society, yeah. which thankfully is changing now. But it's a, it's a, it, there's a lot of, uh, of advantageous men that are now getting put in their place. When you find out that a band or an artist that you love was a terrible person or a uh, abuser you know of women of children we find out of you know about this stuff all the time michael jackson r kelly it just goes on and on mm. are you able to separate the art from the artist or do you think they're so intimate, intimately connected that you can't because that's a question i think for all mm. art right now mm. movies theater, there's so many people who are being found out to be abusive with their power. I think that it, that's a good thing. I mean, I, uh, I get a unique perspective on this matter because a lot of my best friends are women and I'm homosexual. So I've, like, I have a lot of, um, I guess, an interesting inside scoop on what, what a cis male perspective on machismo, uh, toxic masculinity could yeah. be. And uh, I'm, I love watching them crash and burn because it's disgusting behavior. Yeah. I think sometimes uh, there are false accusations. That's a legitimate thing that happens in the world. Come on. No, just because people say something happened doesn't necessarily mean it, it did happen. But in most cases, I, I, it, it did happen. So, you know, no one's going to go out and make these accusations because they want to. Yeah. Give me a break. I mean, it's tragic shit that happens. So it's, uh, you know, I, when, once you find out that an artist was an asshole, that personally affects my view of that person. Yeah, and I usually stop listening to him. You know, once I found out about what kind of person Miles Davis was, I really lost a lot of interest in listening to his music. Mm. I don't care if he's the next big thing. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. I, I can make that decision. Well, especially that. because, you know, you come from a place where people around you and you yourself probably have been deeply affected by this type of bullying and machismo that Absolutely. is so pervasive. Like, I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, both in North Carolina and in Japan and in Spain was actually rather lovely. I think in Argentina, I've had a, you know, gay males are so stereotyped. Like I have to, but no parece puto. Well, you don't seem like a faggot. It's like, mm. okay, that's, that's you being machirulo, puppy. Don't mm. you get it? You know, you, you, but this that society is changing now. What Argent, Argentina as a society has gracefully transitioned and given made room for this narrative to come in. I've never I couldn't have imagined five years ago that Argentina would be what it is now. So not every society can change that quick, but I think our Argentinian society has a unique ability to very quickly learn and. I mean, would you guys agree? I've, it's been like five years ago, it was totally fine to catcall a woman on the street. You don't see that anymore. Mm. What other societies go, boom. Like, what do you think, what do you think, think is, I think spurred that change? 
I think it's a worldwide thing. I probably, well, I don't live in the whole world, so I don't know if it's happening everywhere, but I think conscience about it is, like, yeah. it's happening. But I don't know if it's working everywhere, but I know it's like, uh, like, internet, on the internet, right, is happening. Yeah, and I think that the, uh, the lado femenino, mm -hmm. the... Of femininity, the, the, the perspective, women's perspective, on yeah, mm. uh, is started like going. Up. They have to be heard. They have to be yeah. listened to. Yeah, and it was a, like an explosion mm. last year and last five years of that, mm. and that helped a lot to the people. And I, we all have like a fem part. Mm. Part new, part feminine, yeah, and part yeah. quiz. Yeah. yeah, is there a, a Me Too movement that's going on down there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because ni, ni una menos. Mm. Oh, ni una menos is what it's yeah. called. Not, what, no, not not one less. Ni oh, una menos. interesting. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. So, imagine that something come come out about Bach, for example, uh -huh. and they say Bach well, used to. Uh, Harass. Do you think they would stop using Bach music for, uh, like, studying instruments and stuff? Mm. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, what would happen? Well, because he probably did. I mean, it, uh oh, that, we're getting into. We're get, yeah. I think we're going. Okay, sorry, sorry. We might. We're we're using, let's spread conspiracy yeah. theories about Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> I think first off, like that kind of speculation is is cool, but we'll, there will never be an indictment made. No, no. But, but sometimes, if it's far enough back. People are given a pass, like, well, they didn't know better back yeah. then, maybe, there, but there is some question. There's something to be said about cancel culture, yeah, where people get canceled, uh, and you know, sexual abuse and and that level of violence is is a pretty good reason to cancel someone. But some people get canceled for nothing or for very little or get misinterpreted. And there's a, I, I'm trying to make my view uh, to to kind of formulate my view of this, and I, I watched this. Um, amazing woman, Natalie Wynn, and her show, ContraPoints. Mm -hmm. She transitioned to be a woman online in this uh, YouTube. Uh, she's a YouTuber, and she she was very public about a transition because, you know, unfortunately that was what her job was, so she mm -hmm. had to. But she talks about cancel culture in a really poignant way that's, that's that makes it, uh, you know, that is something to be reckoned with. That's the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. You cannot delegitimize people's like, accusations uh, and people's trauma, but at the same time, you have to be weary of over wokeness. And well, there's vigilantism and totally, uh, yeah. And you you mentioned you know that there's a there's still a fascist sect in Argentina. Absolutely. You know? I mean, everywhere really. But what is that like in Buenos Aires right now? Uh, rich entitled cisgendered men and their control of media. Like, there's this radio show that I went on that's completely awful. It's like Machiruro de la Medula, Perros de la Calle, Andy Kutznesov, I think is his name is. I went on there with another band that I had. Disgusting people. And they're, like, consumed widely in that country. And it's like it's like going to uh, Umor Oficinis' like office humor, like this uh, chummy, smug, mm. heterosexual male that just, you know, writes off women. And, and I had I came out as gay on that program, and they were like, 
oh, uh, mm, he didn't know how to go forward. It's like, but the, you know, the coolest thing is to like immediately, hey, you're a guy. Let's talk about women. And what about the girls? You're like, chica, ¿qué te parece de la chica argentina? La conchita madre. Pero tú this. I, I mean, it's it's enough to make you sick. So this is a good moment in history to actually get people put in their place. I, I love watching. Well, you guys growing up, you know, in Latin America, did you feel that you had to unlearn certain tendencies as guys? Yes. Like, for example, uh, uh, with your male friends, I mean, in, in when I was growing up, I didn't have any homosexual uh I don't say friends, I mean uh, people that went with me to school. Yeah. So I didn't have the experience of, uh, with my friends, we call each other puto, trolo, and like all this, those, those things that for us were like, it's fine, we're just joking around. But one day uh, Joe like called my attention because like, I was like, in the morning we just met him and we're, I was like, what's up, trolo? Like, but in a friendly way, because for me it was friendly because with all trolo my friends. Trolo means faggot. Uh. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a maybe a hardest word that that what I intended to be, mm. and with my friends, like, yeah, sure, like, uh, like when you're with your friends, you you just uh, curse. I at called each him other. out on it one time, and yeah. he's never said it again. So yeah. that's a testament to. Oh, his. I, if I say it, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't say it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, people learn, but right? I, I didn't notice it was insulting until uh, right. he he called me out on it. So yeah, because the, like, the gay perspective, gay male perspective, particularly in Argentina, has never been like, <laughs> well, it is now, but it, it, for, historically it was uh, silenced. Mm. So it's a, new, it's a new thing. Now people are like, hey, shh. But at the same time, uh, it's not as woke of a culture as the United States. Mm -hmm. Without digging a grave, and I know this is mostly going to be listened to by Americans, it will be... It's very hard for people elsewhere in the world to understand the level of wokeness that does exist in the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, in certain uh, communities, but not everywhere. Well, yeah, and and and, and oftentimes the most woke are are the most, uh, you know, economically elite and yeah. least involved in in, in people in, in in intermingling with people of different social classes. So it's a very difficult uh, subject matter that I don't want to dig my grave anymore. There's one I just want to comment on. That, yeah. uh, it, it was used to be a very normal thing to call someone an hijo de puta, mm -hmm. like a son of a, a prostitute. Uh -huh. Even in sometimes like being in uh, offensive, sometimes jokingly. But now uh, we say hijo de chuta, which is son of a policeman. Which uh, I think it's uh, it sounds like you you say it and you it feels similar. Yeah. And I think this is way better. And there's another say. thing, like when this really right-wing president got into power, Mati, mm -hmm. uh, he just got thankfully ousted. But uh, it was there were all these slogans around town, Macri puto, which means Macri faggot. And then the, the counter movement of, you know, young queer people went and crossed out puto and what put heteronormative. So Macri, heteronormative, mm. uh, patriarch, elitist, mm. and that kind of thing. So it was kind of like the Argentina is... is, is very much uh, amidst uh, very powerful social change. It's it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch, you know. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about, about the instrumental piece, uh, 24 de Marzo, Dia del Memoria? Well, uh, on an individual basis, uh, it didn't. Uh, the, the, what happened with the dictatorship, the March 24th, 1976, is when uh, the Videla dictatorship took over in, in Argentina. And 
instigated, you know, a reign of terror till December of 1986, I believe, or 83. I can't, 83, sorry. And anyway, like, uh, so I wrote that song thinking about that subject matter. It's an instrumental, I guess, contemporary tango. But uh, the idea of doing it with Che Apalache was very pertinent because of Paul's experience. With I was born in Mexico because my mom fled Argentina when she was around 25 years old. So Where in Mexico? Uh, in Mexico City. Mm. I was born south of Mexico City mm. in a small town, but I always lived in Mexico City. And so it's a pretty uh, close thing to my family. It's a, like a, I didn't live during those years, but it has affected my life hugely. So, yeah, uh, it, one of my uncles went missing, quote-unquote. That's uh, a way of saying he got kidnapped by the military and killed. Uh, yeah, so I've always been around movements of social justice and, mm. and of bringing all the um, <clears throat> the guys in power that did this to justice. Mm. To, yeah, I love that Manu Chao song, Desparas, uh, Desaparecidos. Desaparecidos. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's yeah. Because a lot, of, a lot of people like disappear. It's happening right now in Chile and Bolivia. Yeah. yeah. This is a really, it's an imminent thing in the Southern Cone, man. How, do, how does that type of uh, behavior and activity by governments continue to happen in this day and age where everything is recorded and everything is... It's money, no, power. It's, it's, money. it's uh, multinational corporations. It's, it's, it's greedy bastards. What can you say? <laughs> it's, there's no surprises. I mean, they are very transparent in their sinister little ways, but it's going to be really hard to stop them. It will take, I mean, look at Chile. Like they they put are putting up a fight and they over four hundred people have lost an eye because of los pacos the like the military backlash the this it's it's a dictatorship it, you know not for everyone some people are like oh it's not that bad people that are really fighting are are harmed it's this disgusting display of power and force and this really I can't find the right word uh, morbid. Uh, fetish of, of not just injuring someone but shooting out one of their eyes check out that vice documentary that's happening I just have one of my best friends is moving back to Argentina she's Argentinian she was living in Valparaiso but she's trying to escape this nasty situation um, and South America is no stranger to that and there's a lot of interventionism by certain other more imperialistic nations yeah, I, I want to talk about your song, uh, Dreamer, real quick, because I think it's something that maybe is the other side of the coin of the good that can come from speaking out against the harsh policies that continue to pervade our society. And, uh, you know, you're doing a really beautiful thing at the Grammys this weekend, uh, bringing the guy that, you know, inspired you to write this song. Yeah, Moises Serrano. So tell us a little about that. Moises is uh, an undocumented immigrant from Yadkin County, North Carolina, and I met him a couple years ago at an arts conference. Um, decided to write a song about him because he's got a political platform and he's very vocal and he's, he's okay being outed as undocumented. So anyway, uh, he's one of 11 million undocumented people and there's about 700,000 dreamers, DACA recipients. 
that are now in this perpetual limbo again, perpetuated by this administration that is a crime against humanity. Just the most disgusting display of of manipulation and anything we've seen up to this point in the United States. It's really as bad as 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 it's as it's been in a while. And uh, yeah, so Moises's story is similar to the stories of. Million, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people, but in a broader way, it's the immigrant story, the actual, you know, Latin American immigrant story in in, in the United States, which is pretty uh, awful. You know, you compare it to Argentina, where I'm an immigrant, where Pa was sort of an immigrant. Your mom's from there, but you had to immigrate, yeah. and uh, it's night and day. Argentina has a very humanitarian stance on immigration, and they. Have you know what what happens when Venezuelans have to leave their country? You know, there's like 10 million Venezuelans. I, I you'd have to fact check that figure, but I spoke yeah. to a Venezuelan who said approximately a third of the country has, has left. Mm. Um, and where are they going to go? A lot of them are settling. I think 150,000 have settled in Buenos Aires up to this point because Argentina has a, a very um, humanitarian focused immigration policy. Even the president of Bolivia is in Argentina right now. Evo Morales is in Buenos Aires. Mm. Really? Yeah. He went to Mexico. Now he's in Argentina. Yeah, he got the day Fernandez became president. He, oh. So yeah, he lives in uh, in Colegiales. Yeah. He's been there for since yeah December. But anyway, so you compare Argentinian healthcare, education, immigration policy to the United States, and it really makes you want to leave the United States. It sure did make me want to leave the United States. Well, especially, you know, and, and Moises is also queer, you know, so yeah. it, it, it has this double layer well, that, that of was what, that vulnerability. Was the, the, I was so intrigued. I was like, wow, you know, it's one thing to come out as being homosexual from that region, North Carolina. I can relate to that. And then also as an undocumented immigrant, that's courageous. So the, so the intersectionality of being queer and being undocumented, being like I'm, I'm legit North Carolinian. I play bluegrass. I sing bluegrass and whatnot. I like, you know, I, I love North Carolinian culture and everything. But at the same time, being an out homosexual in North Carolina, when I, when I came out as a teenager, was incredibly taboo. And there was very little support. Miraculously little. Hurtfully little support. Um, and I was like, well, damn. You know, like, you're from somewhere, but you can't be from there. No, no, you were okay until you started expressing yourself now get the fuck out of here that's kind of so now imagine being from there because you know moises was born in mexico but he's been there since he was one he has literally no memory of mexico and only of north carolina and he's not he's told he's not from there that's ridiculous yeah the, the immigration policy in the united states is so bad that children that were brought here i mean that, that's what we're dealing with though i mean but so uh, many people white people came here three generations ago for yeah, the same reasons. People you don't, were trying they, they to don't, escape. And we have to... got to vote. Everyone's yeah, got to vote, vote for their interests. You know, because that... Look, if people keep putting in Lindsey Graham and uh, McConnell, these guys that are literally clutching their backwards policies, you know, with their cold, dead hands, you know, they're basically going to keep this stuff going until they're gone. And if people in Kentucky and South Carolina don't eventually show up to get them out, how can anything change? And young people, we have people within our, me and my wife's family who've never voted. They go, oh yeah, it doesn't, my vote doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It's like, you, you know, yes it does. 
Yeah. It actually does. Really, I mean, I'm from North Carolina, but I can't vote in the North Carolina primaries because I haven't been a resident uh, mm. within the past 10 years. So that kind of is a bummer. Argentina has an obligatory, how do you say that? Like, obligatory vote. Uh, mandated. Yeah, mandatory oh. voting. And, yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't know if... I, I, I certainly wish there was mandatory voting in the United States right now. Or at least have it be a national holiday like they do in certain countries or have it be on weekends man gerrymandering i mean there is so it's so hard to vote for certain people like look at north carolina it, prime example of why if you're a person of color and poor you are at it, like voting is a huge hassle and that has been meticulously planned by the powers of what is the age that you can start voting in argentina is it 18 18 or 16 no 16, 16. Really? Oh. Yeah, Kishinev. Wow. Do do young people actually vote, or everyone has to vote? Is that yeah, what it is? They have. No, uh, I think actually, if you are uh, over the majority of age, mm-hmm. you have to vote. But if you are in the 16s, you ha- have the choice. You you can choose mm. to to vote. You have the, the that's option. really that's really interesting. Do you get fined if you don't? Theoretically, but not in the, in the practice, no. Yeah. Well, I didn't vote a bunch of times because I was here. A bunch of times? Maybe one. Mm-hmm. And uh, nothing happened. But I w- if someone says anything, I can say I wasn't in the country, but not, no one even asked. I want to do a creative exercise with you guys, since we all are clutching our instruments. This is a, a book that is one of the best short story collections I've ever read. Uh, it's by a, a writer, I believe he's from uh, yeah Bulgaria. His name is Miroslav Penkov. It's called East of the West. Mm. And he basically lived in this city that was on both sides of... Like a Berlin kind of situation. Uh, the East, Eastern Hemisphere and the Western Hemisphere. Uh-huh. You know, because Bulgaria splits this sort of uh, river where, you know, where Turkey is on one side and Europe is on the other side. And so he uh-huh. had these almost two identities his whole life. And I feel like your band merges two identities really beautifully of this vibrant culture in Argentina with this traditional bluegrass base in North Carolina that would never normally meet, but it did. And I'm so glad that people are recognizing the uh, unique sonic quality of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around. I'm going to read a sentence in each person is going to play an improvised tiny little piece on the spot based upon what I'm going to say. Ready? We're going to start with the banjo. It's going to be oh, great. that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it could be anything. So I'm going to say... Hacelo bien. <laughs> Grandmother is secretly in love with the minister. She hates... <laughs> that's a really funny... <laughs> Let's just go with that. Grandma is secretly in love with the minister. Now, that's... Fun. Was that pre-selected? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. This is from the letter, the story of the letter. Get him, Grandma. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. You can hear the. I would hear buy the that. Love. I would buy that record. All right, going to the guitar. Come show me those muscles of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. 
strong. That was mu- that was a that big was strong. It's like a, like a Bon Jovi song. Muscle Joe. All right, we're going to the mandolin. <gasps> we carried our bags to the front door, and while I fought with the lock, Yuki chewed nicotine gum and took pictures of the yard and the outdoor toilet. <laughs> Can you read it again, please? Okay. I want to get the cord. He gets the toilet. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, wait, I lost my place. <laughs> Okay, we, we carried our bags to the front door, and while I fought with the lock, Yuki chewed nicotine gum and took pictures of the yard and the outdoor toilet. She's trying to quit smoking. Oh. Nicotine gum is like when you're trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. kick your habit. That was awesome. Nihilism right there. All right. Thank you. All right. And finally, the fiddle. <clears throat> Listen to the women crying, afraid to make the slightest noise. Hmm. The women were crying, afraid to make sound. Oh, it Shh. You're here because you're nominated for a Grammy. Is there any crazy L.A. thing that you really want to do while you're here? Because I know the only time you've actually stopped in L.A., as you mentioned, was to pee on the Warner Brothers lot. (laughs) Yeah. In a bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that. Uh Was that really the only time you've been to L.A.? No, well, now we are here. Yeah. (laughs) Before, yes. Uh, No, what can we do? I'm dying for surfing. Yeah. Oh, you want to go surfing? Yeah. Okay. It's a little cold, but you know what? You get a wetsuit, maybe I'll be all right. Coming to the Grammys is pretty much it, basically. All right. It's uh, something I never, I never hoped that. we would do. <laughs> okay. Before you guys head into the L.A. sunshine, oh. can you take us out with one more song? Well, should we, do you have a request? Um, Let me think so. Um, I kind of, I kind of need that the quiz. Oh yeah. Because we got a taste of the quiz. Enciendes la maquinita, ya tenés 10.000 amigos, agarras el ratoncito y metes un par de clics. No me vengas con me usas, quiero verte, soy un quiz. ¿En qué quilombo nos metimos? El celular es sagrado y no pasas ni un segundo sin mirando enamorado. No quieres más que tu vieja, que tu hermana y tu papá, pero ese bicho no merece el cariño que le da. Sacate el teléfono de la mano, hermano Perdí una pantalla, cuánta vida habrá pasado Sé que todos te respaldan, yo tal vez soy anticuado Más prefiero mano a mano que vivir hipnotizado 
es un mundo diferente Lo tenés que conocer Si dejas el cachivache notarás que estás en él Dejemos esta farsa, desenredémonos Hacete quiz conmigo, alegrate el corazón Como ni amo voy cantando Y llorale, llorale, llorale Con mi pancho apalache Salpicado de zapucay Soy un quiz empedernido Pasta y mugre musical Un linchero distinguido Todo el mundo es mi Now, the boys of Che Appalachia. You can go to cheappalachia.com for their music and their tour dates. They'll be playing in Washington State, in Colorado, in Georgia, in North Carolina. Some really cool spots coming up in February and March, so look out for that. Their newest record is called Rearrange My Heart, nominated for Folk Album of the Year. So cool to see the Grammys recognizing a unique group like these guys. That album was produced by the wonderful Bela Fleck, who was on this very show with his wife, Abigail Washburn. If you go back to the Bluegrass Situation, you can see all our archived episodes, including episodes by other Grammy winners like Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, and the newly nominated Madison Cunningham. That's a really cool episode from a few weeks back, so check that out. As I may have teased a few times, my Gang Dust Bowl revival will be on the podcast in a few weeks. We're really excited for that. And I'm going to mention it one last time. Our record drops January 31st on 30 Tigers. Guys, thank you for supporting my music throughout the years. And you know what? I want to hear what you're working on. If you have a new record, if you have a new song that you're really proud about, send it to showontheroadpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it, and maybe I will talk about it right on the show. Because you know what? We need each other. We need to support each other's art. That's the only way we can go forward. Big thanks to the Winter Wondergrass Festivals for supporting this podcast this month. I will be going up there with the Bluegrass Situation team to tape some of my favorite artists in Lake Tahoe, so check that out at the end of March. More episodes to come. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash Show on the Road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the BluegrassSituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. <laughs>